Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Real Leaders Radio. I'm Sue Heilbronner, your host, and I am really psyched today to bring you a kind of unconventional leadership story. Today, our guest is Erin Carson. She is the general manager of Rally Sport Fitness, and also, as she thinks of it, really the owner-operator of this club, which is the most recent chapter of this story. You might be asking yourself, what does the owner of a large gym in Boulder, Colorado, have to say about the kind of leadership that I spend most of my time on, which is startup tech companies. And I think in a little bit, you're going to know exactly the answer. So Aaron, welcome. Thanks for being here. It's an absolute honor. <laughs> so Aaron, the first thing we do on Real Leaders Podcast is we ask the guests to just give us their three minute life stories. So over to you, go. I, uh, life story Probably the most important part of my life was when I was in about sixth grade and I decided I wanted to be really good at something. I also noticed just by the way that people were responding to some of the games that I was playing that I was a pretty good athlete and I liked that. I liked being a great athlete. I enjoyed the crowd clapping. I enjoyed my parents thinking that I was doing good things. I loved that my teachers thought it was cool. And being a good athlete really drove me through high school to dream big dreams and think big. And so I was raised in Canada. And my first and foremost thought was to aspire to get a full ride basketball scholarship to the United States, one of the major Division One universities. And that dream came true through a lot of diligent hard work and a lot of sacrifices along the way when other friends were perhaps being a little bit more social than I was, I, I chose not to, to take that path. I was kind of a little bit of a, uh, an athlete geek. I wouldn't call myself a jock per se because I also was in the band. I aspired to take on the lead, whether it was being a point guard or a two guard in my sport. I enjoyed the strategy involved in sport. I came to the University of Colorado. I chose the University of Colorado, which was not one of the top 20 universities in, in at the time, although I was recruited by top 20. I just really loved Boulder, Colorado. And I knew that women's basketball at that point, there was no WNBA. I did not aspire to that. And here I am. Okay. So you, there you were, you were playing basketball, you played at the collegiate level. What happened next? I played a little bit of pro basketball in Europe. That was a challenge for me. Didn't go real well. And I came back to Tulane University and went to graduate school. And what? Athletic administration was the goal. Basically, I went to graduate school to coach college basketball. Oh, that was the big it. picture to be a coach. And I have a very strong personality. And I think what happened for me in coaching was that I was a little bit young for the strength that I showed and some of the characteristics that I showed, perhaps a little bit too close to the player's age. I'm also a very, very hard worker. And I did get uh, some ulcers and some stress-related illnesses, more lifestyle maybe now that I know more, a little, little bit more about health and wellness, uh, not getting enough sleep long hours in the office, that kind of stuff. Okay, I'm curious. You said you played professional ball in, in Europe and that it didn't go that well. What, what did that mean? They hired me and they shouldn't have hired me. They <laughs> hired me to come and play with a team in France. I'm a guard. And at the time, the head coach was in the south of France on vacation. The Europeans are a little bit better about staying on vacation than the Americans, so he wasn't engaged. So the president hired me. I showed up. Coach looks at me asks me if I know how to rebound. I'm not a big rebounder. I'm a shooter. I'm a scorer. 
and uh, I did my job, but it, it definitely wasn't what the team needed. They needed a big girl inside, and, and it was something my shoes I couldn't fill. Was that the first time you had that experience of being with shoes you couldn't fill? Interesting question. Uh, yes, it was, and being so far from home, it was probably one of the biggest challenges of my life. Uh, they, they actually tried to get me to quit, and they did everything they could do to get me to quit. And, and I wouldn't quit, which it probably is a big part of my story, but I played through my agreement and just kind of moved on from there. You were finished with that. You came back to Boulder at that time? I went to Tulane, to the university, oh, right. to, to Tulane, yep. and uh, did one year of college basketball there. Uh, then my second assistant coaching job was at the University of Nebraska, and that's where I got sick. And I then came home, quote unquote, to Boulder, and I'll call it home because at that point it wasn't in my plan to go back to British Columbia. And I tried to just get healed and get healthy and try and gain some perspective, and, and I got a job at a health club called Rally Sport, and, and kind of the rest is history in, in, in my ascending in the health and wellness and fitness business. So Aaron, what year was that where you first started with Rally Sport? That would be 91. 91. Wow. That's impressive. Have you ever worked anywhere other than Rally Sport in the meantime? I've been really lucky to have Rally Sport as my foundation of, of where I professionally grew up. But I, I've been really blessed to be a consultant for major companies and really help be a fitness educator as well with education companies. As much as I always come home to Rally Sport, uh, I have worked for other companies as well. So for some period of time, you worked at this gym and ultimately became the general manager. Is that right? Absolutely. Super fun quick story. I'm not afraid of sales. I, I've worked on the front line of, of this business. My, my career path wasn't clear, but I see important things that need to be done and done well and th some of the gifts that I might have that could help the business do well. So I jumped into sales. I jumped into management. Um, but at the same time, I was allowed, and this is a, a key thing that I feel so blessed. I, I love training people. I love performance-based physical, self, mental, emotional journeys that people have, whether I'm training the world champion, uh, Kona champion, or whether I'm training a 79-year-old champion in my eyes who aspires to ski three days a week, and he's kind of mad at me right now because he never thought at 80 he would have to buy a ski pass, so he's having to realign his financial <laughs> future a little bit, but I, I'm super passionate about that. Your athletic present, you're, you obviously are still a pretty supreme athlete. Can you just share a little bit about what that outlet means for you? It is a really important part of my life, I think. It gives me time to think. Uh, I'm not as strong as an extrovert as uh, people might think I am. So the time that I can spend on my bike or running uh, really quiets my mind and allows me to think. And uh, I also am very competitive, and I do like to see how I measure up against my peers. So I do a little triathlon. Um, I specialize in the half Ironman distance. I just qualified this year for the world championships. And so I'm kind of stoked to go to Australia here in a couple weeks and put it out there and see where I rank in the world. For those of you who don't live in Boulder, Colorado, this is how people talk in Boulder, Colorado, when they're at an absolute internationally recognized level in a sport. I do a little triathlon. That's kind of how it goes. <laughs> anyway, you're a big deal in triathlon. That's a great outlet. It seems like something you absolutely love. I want to just close the loop on what happened at Rally. So for some number of years, you worked for an owner. Was it a single owner that owned Rally? Yep. I worked for a single owner. At some point that transitioned. Well, tell us a little bit about the facts where you ultimately did become one of the owners of the club. The quick story is in every professional career, there's probably 
uh, the beginning, the middle, and the end. And I think that my former former boss had just come to the end where he had done all he could possibly do in the fitness business through rally sport. And I think it became less fun for him. And he wanted to make a transition. And I was fortunate enough to be given the opportunity to come up with a pretty large amount of money in, in my eyes to purchase the business that I've worked in for over 25 years and be able to step back into a leadership role and keep the ball rolling at Rally Sport. Aaron, most people know that Boulder is a haven for athleticism and, and that a lot of professional athletes come here to live. Many of them train with you. Can you just give folks who are listening who might not know Rally Sport just a little bit of an overview of what this club is about and how it fits into this hyper-athletic community? Our vision is that each one of us likes a clubhouse, a place where our friends are, a place where we know we're surrounded by good things, things that make us better, whether it's a great book club or something like that. We're, we just happen to be in the capacity of health and wellness. And performance is, is a kick in the pants as far as people coming here and being some of the best in the world. But it also, Boulder's so cool because we're surrounded by performance, whether it's in business or whether it's they want to be the best husbands they can be. They want to be the best wives they can be. They want to be the best partners they can be. And through health and wellness, we know that we can help them achieve those kinds of goals that are on top of just being really healthy. And so it's easy to come to Rally Sport because people do know your name. We like to think about Cheers a little bit. That's an epic uh, community. And I think we've proven over the last few years that that the strength of rally sport is not only in the world-class facilities that we have. And I think that when the pros choose you, it's a good sign, but also that they're just treated like human beings here. They're not treated like gods. They're just, they're, they're happy to be people and just like everybody else trying to do the best they can with, with what they do. So what was the hardest thing about buying this club? That brings a little silence because to me, there wasn't anything hard about it. it. I believe so deeply in what we do, and I know that it's important to so many people. Maybe the former owner was ready to be done, but we weren't. And, and I, as kind of the figurehead of this company for a lot longer than I've owned it, I'm definitely not done. My enthusiasm is probably bigger than it's ever been to help people live an amazing life. That comes through a lot, Aaron. And you're, I remember, I think it was three or four years ago, Right when I met you, and you're like, what's up with this Facebook thing? And within two weeks, you had this giant Facebook following, and you were sharing all this data about who you were helping and what your views were on athletics. And I think you now you have a massive following. So if you're out there, follow Erin Carson. It's E-R-I-N Carson. You'll find her in Boulder, Colorado. And she's really an interesting follow. If you're into triathlon, if you're into health and wellness, she's just a great follow on Facebook. So... You bought this club right at a time, I think for a very, very long time, rally sport in this community was the be-all, end-all, the place everybody went. And about five or six years ago, another place opened called Colorado Athletic Club. It's about a mile and a half away from this place. Everything was brand new. You guys have done tons of renovation, but everything in this entire building was brand new. How was that for you and for the club? Well, the word therapy comes to mind. <laughs> I, 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 it, it was, it was extremely difficult. Anybody that's been through any huge transition, it felt like a divorce. Although I've never been through a divorce, it, it broke our hearts. But at the same time, we knew there would be a timeline that perhaps people would come back, perhaps they would miss us, and maybe the people that didn't miss us shouldn't come back. 
And it made us really dig deep and identify who we were and why we were important and how we were going to structure our business so that we could continue the journey. And I've been very blessed to have some extraordinary mentors in my life, uh, my investors as part of this business. That wasn't hard. They are members. They've been members a long time. They're clients of mine. They believe in the journey. The numbers were strong enough that the question marks didn't come fast and furious at all when we went to raise the funding. You know, my enthusiasm and my willingness to work hard, I think, gave them a lot of confidence that they were making a good investment, not only in this community, but also in the business and, and in turn in me. And I, and I take that very, very seriously. So how has it been in the last three years? What I hear you saying is you knew people were going to depart to the new and shiny object. And you thought they'd come back because they missed you. And frankly, there's really something special about the heartbeat of this place. Is that what's happened? It's happened to an extent. I do think there are people that don't belong here. You know, they want to put their headphones on and they just want to jump on a treadmill and they need that escape at the gym. And that is available for them. They could do that here, but they could also do that there. So it doesn't matter. A treadmill is a treadmill sometimes. And they don't really place in a level of importance of how they're greeted when they walk in the door. They don't need to make friends at the gym. And, you know, those maybe aren't our, our target audience. The people that we really love, when they walk in the door, they light up. When we say, hey, how you doing, Sue? It's great, it's great to see you. And a large percentage of our members really appreciate the level of expertise that we bring to the table when it comes to training and fitness training. That's probably what makes us really unique. And that's one of the things that as we dug a little bit deeper, I always knew that that would set us apart. I just didn't know when it would come in handy. <laughs> Very similar to the Facebook thing. You know, I played with it. I started it. I kept it as professional, Aaron athlete, and not, not as personal, so that I could utilize it as a tool for our business. And the Instagram, by the way, is, is something I'm playing with a little bit more frequently now. And it's all part of Facebook, evidently. But it's EC33Fit at me.com. So EC33Fit has kind of become my tag name. All right. Well, let's talk about this expertise, because I do think that's seriously differentiating for you and for this club. And it seems to me, last time I checked, that some of the consulting that you were doing around the world in this area of health and wellness and fitness was around that topic. So one thing that I think is true is that this club has phenomenal personal trainers that are highly committed to their clients that stick around here for an incredibly, unbelievably long time and are able to build really nice lives financially for themselves and their families. Is that true? It's one of my biggest sources of pride as a, as a business. It used to be as a business manager, and now it's as a business owner. To have a fitness professional be 40 45 and 50 years old is very, very unique in this business. It's a, usually a young man or a young woman's sport um, or profession. And, and they typically will move on into it, whether it's management or something like that. But when you look at the healthcare need in this country and you contemplate the baby boomers and, and how they want to age, there's nothing more valuable than a very experienced, educated, and empathetic personal trainer. I shy away a little bit from the word personal trainer because it conjures up a, a vision that probably isn't rally sports trainers. These are young men and women who, who truly are. My, my average age of my trainer now is over 40. And they're just continuing to be extremely curious, extremely motivated to continue their education. There's more information daily. But what it makes them really cool, though, to be around is they're starting to feel little aches and pains. <laughs> and so they, they are more empathetic. And, and they, they ask of their clients what their clients um, 
they're all geared towards the client's aspiration rather than what the trainer needs from a number as far as how much do you bench and how much do you squat. So we have a really, really good track record and I'm just super proud of these guys. And, and in that line, we had to go through a process of when they were young, when they came here, because they've been here for 10, 15 years, some of them, we needed to go through a process of them creating their vision for their life. They don't typically show up with that. And I think that sitting down and asking them, do you want to get married? Do you want to have children? And what's it going to take financially to make that happen? Most trainers, when I ask them what they want to earn, they'll say 30 grand. That is like the dumbest thing (laughs) ever because 30 grand doesn't get you very far in Boulder, Colorado. It might in other markets, but we walk away a little bit from, from some of our margin. We walk away from a little bit of our, our revenue so that we can keep our training staff a longer time. And it's unfortunately very unique in this business. And it's got to change so that people like you and me will have access to the brightest people possible to keep us moving and, and just vital and vibrant. So what's the average longevity of one of your trainers, average uh, tenure here at Rally Sport? We're right around 10 years. So I have 25 trainers and I've, I have a couple that have been here for over 20 years. And it's not like they got lazy. They still every year get better and they're still super excited and passionate about what they do. Are there a lot of gym companies around the world that want that for their training staff? Or do they prefer having a constantly new crop of people that just came out of school, their certification, so that those people are cheaper? What what do people want? It's a difficult question to answer for me because when I sit and talk to my peers who are also owners, they would love to have the revenue, produce the revenue and the member engagement that we do through personal training. But until they're willing to walk away a little bit from their margin they're going to keep creating the same problem that they've created. And and we basically are creating a, a group of trainers who aspire nothing more than to leave and go open up their own place. And so we wonder why we have so much competition with the studios. And until we start taking care of them and, and our, our success is ultimately their ability to earn money and stay for a long time. So I don't know about this. I mean, I, I've never owned a gym, but what's always struck me Uh, is that a lot of gym owners, and since a lot of these are conglomerate big companies, you're probably pretty rare being an independent ownership group that's primarily, I think, local. Is that right? Very local, yeah. Yeah, so that's different. So it seems to me that a lot of these companies are just thinking, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to sell the hell out of these memberships. We're going to especially go all the way to the mat around New Year's when most people really get re-engaged or engaged in fitness. And then we're going to hope that those people never come to the gym. Is that, that, that I mean, that would be my model if I owned a gym. Is yep. that, that's it, right? That's totally a model. It exists. Isn't that sad? I mean, it must be kind of dominant. It's pretty huge. Pricing it just cheap enough so people won't quit. It's yeah. more hassle to quit. It's just market by market and what's important to people. There's a tremendous amount of people that are really motivated who go to Anytime Fitness. It's one of the greatest franchising stories going right now. And there's a place for that. I look at things a little bit differently. We want people to come. We want people to engage with a trainer. We want people to eat some of our great food that we offer and we make fresh for them. We want them to come here with their families and their kids. And it's kind of fun. If you go down to our front desk right now, the kid working the front desk actually grew up in the nursery. And I love that. So, you know, there's there's a lot of ways you can you can play with a balance sheet. And I, and I like to be involved. And, and I like that people love it here. 
Yeah, that makes sense. What's the typical margin split for a trainer? Because this is typical kind of core to your business. Typical yeah. would probably be 50-50. Okay. And that's typical in that there's a lot of people that pay people 40 and they pay 40 for a long time. So it's, it's very difficult. 40%. Yeah, 40% to the trainer. So if, if we're charging $100 for a training session and the club takes 60 and 40 sounds good. Doesn't right. that sound like yeah, a lot of money, yeah, $40 exactly. an hour? But I think when you do the math on $40 an hour, it doesn't work out to very much money. Well, plus you're not that motivated to sell. No. And, or to keep people sticky and keep them engaged. And Right. Huh. All right, so I won't ask you for your specific number. I assume there's a scale that rewards sort of longevity. And I, I've created a, a sliding scale that works for our business model. I mean, we're in business to make money just like everybody else, and that's a really important part of the success story. But I think that the, uh, the trainer has to have the ability to grow. They have to be able to see that they can earn six figures. And I'm very proud to say I have six trainers out of my 25 trainers who earn more than $100,000 a year. And that's, that's unheard of. That's awesome to me. And, awesome. and I want to keep making more of those guys because we will benefit from it because they're engaging our members and, and, and it'll keep, keep growing at a really nice rate. And the quality that we can offer is, is unsurpassed. So do you have people here, you almost turn it on its head, like people here who join here so they can work out with your trainers. Absolutely. Instead of the opposite, which is we want your membership. We want you never to come. Oh, and by the way, here's some added revenue you can contribute by working with one of our trainers. Yeah. Being in business to make money must be really fun, but being in business to really help people just dive into life and, and have a blast is really fun. Aaron, you know, there's a part, I, I, I really, if you pay attention to Aaron on social media, you'll get this experience sometimes. I mean, first of all, you strike me as wildly optimistic. You're just not, and, and I get, like, I'm so optimistic. I just wake up in the morning and it's always pretty damn good day. Yeah. Number one, you're really optimistic. There, number two, there's like, there's a part of some of how you talk, I think that makes me think, come on, come on, Aaron. I really want, you know, you're in this, now you're an owner, this is your future, this is your retirement nest egg. I mean, how often do you get into conflicts between your, in yourself with your values and sort of business reality ever? Uh, the conflict is interesting because I, I think that it's, it's just another challenge. It's just another way to look at it a little bit differently. And there's no doubt about it, we have to grow. I have a sophisticated group of investors that challenge me quarterly. And if sometimes I wish we only met twice a year instead of four <laughs> times a year. But this journey here over the last couple of years has been really, really fun for us. And specifically for me, because I love top line revenue, but I also, you know, we have to, we have to save uh, money as well to be able to add to our bottom line and at the same time not lose sight of our values. My belief system is so deep and, it, and maybe it's because I do what my trainers do. I, I walk in their shoes every single day. I choose that, that I feel like I'm closer to them and I, I feel a huge responsibility to keep providing them opportunities. And that's all I give them. I don't hand them things. You know, I, I know that we're all very familiar with the, if I, if I give you fish, you'll never learn to feed yourself. But if I teach you to fish and, and my role is to keep forcing them to dream and, you know, keep thinking bigger. And this is the United States. I love living here. I'm definitely a capitalist. I know that if hard work prevails, people will live happy lives. What are the techniques or the regimens that you use with your trainers and other employees to instill this value system as best you can? 
Well, I think that for them, they have to pass it on to their clients that the enthusiasm and the the time and the passion that I give to them and my energy, I want them to pass that on to their clients and to their people. As a leader, it's always important that you you always have some air apparent that there's somebody who wants to come and perhaps fill your shoes someday. And therefore, I would hire somebody underneath of me to help lead other people so that I might be able to step away at some point. And as of right now, as I look on my staff, and it confuses me sometimes, maybe it's how I'm hiring and whatever, but none of my staff has aspired to lead other staff. They have not aspired to management. And I think it's because I've hired people who are passionate about fitness and wellness and science and longevity with human beings, not about profit and loss statements. And they Mm -hmm. don't want to sit in front of a computer. They like to move around a lot. And I love moving around a lot too, but there are many times where you got to sit and think and and be quiet and, and strategize. So their leadership opportunities with their client bases and being the best trainer that they can be. What about you made you a person It sat on both sides of that? You know, that you are an incredible world-class athlete yourself. The core values of you are really inherent in the core values of sports. I feel that from you. But yeah, I'm sitting in your office right now and you have a spreadsheet on your uh, desk. I'm not looking at your desktop, but yeah. (laughs) So what do you think made you that way? There's no doubt about it. My dream was to be a basketball coach. That didn't happen. So I'm a coach. The biggest pride that I could see as a coach is to see your players go on and and do well in life. And that if I was a, I just turned 50, and if I was a 50-year-old Division One basketball coach, I would be like Pat Head Summit or, you know, one of the top coaches because I would have done everything that I would have needed to do to get the best players to come to my university and have the best relationship with my president of my university and the pride in the university. The definition of success for me has always been the success of the people that I have the opportunity to be around. Do you ever look back on that decision to step away from coaching? It sounds like you got to Tulane, you were probably a little too young to engender the kind of respect that, whatever, uh, the kind of separation you might want as a coach. Do you ever look back and wonder about whether you should have tried that again? Absolutely. There's no doubt. Here at the University of Colorado, which is my alma mater, uh, we just hired a Canadian from North Vancouver, West Vancouver to coach that in my mind, I still think that should have been me. My life is really, really good though. And I know that people look at me, they don't think I'm 50. I'm super healthy. I sleep well at night. I love to compete. I have wonderful friends. I have a loving partner that I've been with for over 20 years. I would question whether or not I would have all of those things had I chosen the other path and pursued and kept pushing harder and harder to become a basketball coach. That is a very transient lifestyle. Uh, the recruiting responsibilities, the travel, would probably have really, really altered the, the scope of my life. And so looking back, do I wish sometimes? Yeah, definitely dream a dream. And, and I, I think it's, it's super cool to be a Division One basketball coach, but, but I'm really happy. And I, I think things came out the way they were supposed to for me. Really interesting. I get that you feel that way. You're a core optimistic person. I imagine that you live without regret generally. So, and it's still really funny that you know, you know exactly when the team hired a coach and where she's from and whatever. Um, Aaron, you got so much working for you on the leadership side. What are the one or two things that if you could just get better at these things, you would really, really amp up your already stellar leadership ability? You know, I often think that being a better delegator 
would be uh, would make me better, would free up some time. It's interesting those who have personal assistants and people that make their lives easier. I have a tremendous fear that that would actually make my life harder because things happen very quickly. And I like how quickly things happen. So my ability to react uh, and stay on the front line, probably if I could make more time to think a little bit more, if I could get some of the day-to-day stuff just covered by maybe a little bit of middle management wouldn't be bad, but uh, we're a relatively small company still. You know, we consider ourselves kind of a family business, but with a family business with, with big, big aspirations and, and big goals. So I think as we continue to grow, I think the things that will change for me in, in the way that I'm, I consider myself a very engaged leader, I, instead of spending 90 or 80% on the front line, walking in the shoes and walking with the, the, my staff, I, I might take that back a little bit to 50 to 60% and capitalize a little bit more on my experience and my thought processes and, and that kind of thing as far as developing new business and, and ways that we can do things better instead of just sticking to some of the things that have worked really well over the years and, and not questioning them. So maybe my curiosity about the body and how it performs needs to be transitioned a little bit into how the business performs and look at the business like a new body. That, that might be a good good change. Yeah, that sounds pretty interesting. When you listen back to this tape, just jot that down. Yeah. Uh, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> so one of the, I spend a lot of time thinking about conscious leadership. I do a bunch of work with, with leaders around conscious leadership. And one of the core principles of conscious leadership is that we have these commitments that we say we have, like, I want to spend a little less time on the front line and take a little more detail off my plate and shift it to someone else so I could focus on the bigger picture of the business. We say that's what we want, and that's sort of above the waterline, our conscious commitment. And then we invite leaders to look at their unconscious commitments. And from our perspective, the best way to know what you're committed to is is what, Aaron? Oh, come on, Sue, don't put me on the spot come with on. that. It's what I'm you never... have. Yeah, right? absolutely. I mean, you're, you're a primo manifester. If you decided, if you really had wanted to be a basketball coach, there's no question in my mind that you would be a basketball coach. Like one year at Tulane when you were really young wasn't going to take you off that path, right? So I believe you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. And you gave me two facts that are really interesting. One is you have 25 phenomenal trainers, none of whom seem to be wanting to walk in your shoes at all. (laughs) That's interesting, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's one. And then number two, like it'd be super easy. This is what normal coaching is, right? Normal coaching would be, oh, wait, Aaron, you you just haven't met the right virtual assistant. If you had the right person, she or he would help you make this all easy. They'd teach you how to delegate. It'd be awesome. I would just fix your issue, right? That'd be super simple. Instead, what's really interesting is to look at how you're committed to not getting that kind of support and for you to think about like, what is it I'm worried about losing if I had that? I wonder, do you have any thoughts about that? Well, my first thought is that that's a great thought. <laughs> you know, I do, I, I think it's so important to stay close to my staff. And I do probably have a fear that, that if I step away a little bit, it's probably like parenting, right? This is, I don't have kids. Yeah, It must be scary for so many people right now, their kids are going off to college. You know, I need to let them go a little bit. Yeah, I, I but had, then I have new ones, like I'm constantly having new kids. Right, <laughs> so, right, right. you know, it's not like I don't hire two or three times a year, but... But I'm, I'm pretty excited about evolving and becoming better, so. Yeah, what strikes me as really fun is that 
you might be running the story that my staff relies on me to stay really involved and I keep liking, I like what you said, and walk in their shoes. Like they want that from me. And they'd be sad if they didn't get it. And you know, maybe you're a little bit of a control type. So maybe there's some control in there that you like really having your hands on things and knowing where the business is at every level. What would be really fun is to survey your staff and to ask them how they think you could be of greatest value to this business and to their current and to their future business. And hear what they say. That can be part two of this podcast. <laughs> it's true. We'll come Because that would be, those are, great, those are great questions. Yeah, it's like the car guys when they give somebody advice about their car and then six weeks later they have the person back to hear if they were right or not. Yeah, plus, be like that. Plus my team, I value their input. Totally. I work with a company and the two co-founders they have to make some very large decisions that are very expensive. They have to buy inventory and it's expensive and it's worrisome. And they have 25 people that work there too, similar size. Well, you have a bigger company than that, but whatever. Yeah. They have about the same number of people. And I asked, you know, hey guys, why aren't you getting a little more aggressive over holiday? And they said, well, look, I mean, we have a lot of responsibility. We're responsible for the payroll of all these people and they count on us for their livelihood. And it was really funny for them too to say, huh. I wonder what they want you to do in terms of how much risk they want you to take. I think it's a kind of a fun flip. So hardest conversation you've ever had pertaining to business? To talk to my former owner and unfortunately have to ask for the opportunity to buy the business. Unfortunately. Yeah. That was, over many years, was was considered a uh, an on-the-table topic that if you ever chose to to sell Rally Sport that, that I would be given first choice. And was he already thinking about selling it? Yes. Ah, uh, <laughs> yeah, good for you. So glad you did that. Me too. Yeah, I'm glad we're not having that conversation. And I think if you asked him, he'd be really glad too. Huh, nice. Is he still a member? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, so Aaron, last question. Yeah. I hold the belief that we all have from, you know, like the age of two years old, as early as we might be able to remember, that we've all received one piece of feedback that has just stayed constant. Like, and it's in our personal life and in our professional life. It's just this one little nugget of feedback and we work and work and work on it and we try to do better and grow as a person and we still get some version of this piece of feedback and we're like, are you kidding me? I've been working on this for years. Do you have one? You know, sometimes I, I think over my over my life, although I'm I'm much better now, is is uh, sometimes I will speak before I think. There's an acronym that I've been using lately. Is why am I talking? Wait, <laughs> it's wait. <laughs> so so I I've worked on that probably my whole life. All right. So the acronym is wait, wait and it's why, why am, am I? I talking? Huh. That's great. Well, that's a fitting way to end a podcast where I specifically reached out to you to ask to come talk with my audience on Real Leaders. So thank you so much for joining us today, Aaron. Aaron is general manager, owner and operator, chief bottle washer here at Rally Sport Health and Fitness Club in Boulder, Colorado. If you don't know about Rally, check it out. Everything Aaron said is not BS. It's all true. She walks the walk in her shoes and in other people's shoes. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Sue. Real Leaders is brought to you by MergeLane, the startup accelerator for companies that have at least one female in leadership. The MergeLane application for the 2017 session opens on September 1st, and that session starts on February 5th. 
If you are a company with at least one female leadership, or if you know one of those companies, please stop everything you're doing and send them right now to mergelane.com. Check out other amazing leaders and the most diverse leadership podcast you'll ever hear at Real Leaders Podcast on iTunes and every other place where podcasts are not sold. Thanks again for being with us.